Welcome back to Radio Juxtapose, my name is Doug Gillen and on today's episode we're exploring the history of queer street art with filmmaker Daniel Albanese, aka The Dusty Rebel. With a background in anthropology, New York-based photographer and filmmaker Daniel Albanese has spent the last decade exploring the role uncommissioned public art has played in queer liberation. Now, in 2023, over five years in the making, his feature-length DIY documentary Out in the Streets delves into the power of collective action through mobilising groups and championing the marginalised. The action groups came up to me and miraculously had chalk and said, I want you to go up and down the street and write on the street and on the walls tomorrow night Stonewall. It was about communication. How do you get through to other people? How do you organise? As it approaches the final stages of completion, we wanted to use this opportunity to explore the politically charged history of queer street art. Daniel is currently crowdfunding for support in finalising this project. If you'd like to find out how you can get involved, then please check the links in this episode's show notes. The more I spoke with Daniel in this conversation, the more I realised that there's so many more aspects of this subject matter left to explore. And I really do hope we get to revisit it and hear it from different perspectives and experiences once again in the future. But for now, hopefully this is a pretty good starting point. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Daniel Albanese, aka The Dusty Rebel, right here in conversation with me, Doug Gillen, on Radio Juxtapose. I just want to be you are as I can be I'm recording and I'm locking so we do not <laughs> lose it. Great. All right. Have you had uh, incidents like that where you've lost valuable in- interviews? What was the What was the most important interview you lost? You know, well, there was moments where you're filming if you're relying just on the camera the audio into the camera, if you can't keep the camera rolling the whole time, you lose interesting conversations. So that was when I started to make sure I always had two mics on people, the the one that went into camera and then also one that was like a, just recording the entire time because there's nothing worse than, you know, you're doing B-roll, but you're also having interesting conversations. And then you, you sit down, you're like, ah, oh, I didn't get it. <laughs> Plus I was doing everything by myself. So you couldn't, you didn't have like, you couldn't be on every single aspect of it. So you just had to like, have backup just for context then so you're one man production trying to do a feature length documentary or doing not trying to doing no well yeah i mean well actually filming is pretty much done so i did it (laughs) yeah in the beginning i used to travel with a cinematographer because i i I do photo. I'm a photographer, but I have no cinematic, you know, I don't know how to use a, ca- a video camera. It's a very different, anyone who does both, it uses a very different part of your brain. You know, as a street photographer or even a photographer in general, you you know, you're especially a street photographer, you're going for like trying to get that shot in that moment. My, my body and my camera are just like synchronized. They just work. And it's about quick getting something where video is about holding and keeping shots and you're constantly pulling focus you know, I have to manually pull focus so it was using a very different part of my brain uh but in the beginning i used to bring a cinematographer with me uh, i just there was no way i could afford to pay people so i had to basically the only way i could do it was to do it all on my own and so i taught i spent one winter just teaching myself how to shoot video chasing my dogs and cats around my apartment and uh once i felt pretty confident in it i jumped in the field that must have been quite a, a learning curve. What made you go from 
not having any experience in this to deciding to try to do a feature, to do a feature, trying to do a feature, to do a feature. At that time, you were trying. Yeah, well, you know, it started... I mean, it's sort of linked to the origin of, of how this particular project started, which was in 2014, I was uh, in Paris and I discovered Suriani, uh, who at the time was a Brazilian street artist living in Paris. And he was doing these huge hand-painted portraits of drag queens that were, were out the streets of Paris. That was like the first time that I really started to think about queer coding in street art and like some people could walk by those queens and they might just think they're big you know a, a pretty woman or you know some people locals thought they were local prostitutes no one was sure what weren't necessarily sure what they were looking at but as a queer person i knew oh that's willem that's jinx monsoon those are the queens from you know rupaul's drag race which at that time was not a huge thing that is now it's like kind of an underground thing so that made me start thinking about like who sees what how do people read these things and I basically became obsessed. So Suri and I became, and I became kind of quick friends in Paris and I spent a lot of time with him. And that's really what made me start thinking about queer themed street art. And originally it was going to be a book, but then I thought, well, if I'm going to travel and interview people and photograph them, I really should be filming this. So that's like, let's, let's, let's do it all at once. There's no, there won't be any going back that. And because there was nothing else on it, really, I was like, okay, this is actually interesting. So that's why, uh, it was, you have to learn how to do this and you just have to do it. <laughs> There's no other option. In terms of video then, uh, what is out there about queer street art? So that's the part that, why I became kind of obsessed. So I got, you know, I came back to New York after working with Sirianni in Paris and Homo Riot, who at the time was in LA, came through New York and he was putting up this really aggressive homoerotic themed work, stickers and wheat paste that was like really in your face, right? What's aggressive homoerotic street art? So aggressively homoerotic street art is like, you, you know exactly what you're looking at when you look at it. It's two men kissing. It's it's very graphic a lot of times and, and you know, it could be kink based and there's no doubt, well, and his name is Homo Riot. So there's no, it's like a punch in the face that you are looking at homoerotic queer street art. Like there's no, you're not like, oh, I wonder what that is. You know, you know exactly what that is. Comparing those two things, Zoriani's work, which are these like beautiful hand-painted drag queens that you sometimes have to know that who they are. You have to be in on the language that's being used versus one that like any granny should be able to know exactly what's happening in that picture. Specifically grannies. <laughs> Especially, yeah. Comparing those two in my head was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. So that's, so I was like, oh, what else is there? And I could find like nothing. There was no like BuzzFeed, top 10 gay street artists, top 12 queer street there was like literally no nothing there was almost nothing on the internet about it and that made me really curious because i was like well i know several what i did was i began to build my own database of literally everyone i could find so this is you know going back like seven years ago i i literally scraped the entire internet i i surfed every hashtag you could think of on every social media platform gay street art queer street art lesbian street art lgbt street art lgbtq street art i literally searched the entire globe and started building a database and was writing to the friends that I knew and saying, hey, you know, who are queer artists? Can you tell me who else you know? And so it became this like casting this wide net over the earth <laughs> and pulling in everyone I could find. And then I built this database that literally at this time has probably about 300 entries around the world. So that to me was really interesting. It's like, okay, so there's a ton of them out there. They don't know about each other, a lot of them. No one's really writing about them. So like that, that of course makes you start to ask why, 
what are, what are the reasons? Is it gatekeeping? Like who are the gatekeepers of, of street art? Who, who, who post what? Who recognizes what on the street? Uh, the influence of social media. So who are you not going to put something on that's controversial or because you, you're afraid you're going to lose followers? Uh, or, you know, there's so many different variables that I was kind of curious, like what was happening? Why didn't we know more about these artists? Because there was a lot of them and they were doing really interesting street art kind of is starting to get a little boring for me. And these artists, that's what kept me kind of fired up is that they were doing really transgressive, illegal work. They often don't get murals. They often don't work. They're not working in like the, the, the muralized, necessarily in the mural world of street art. They're like actually doing, they're, do, they're doing the illegal stuff. They're just putting it up there. Um, and that, of course, was really interesting to me. There's something really in that about this idea, queer street art. And I actually want to get in and define what queer street art is. But this idea of it, queer street art, particularly being done small, quite DIY approaches, you know, whether it's stencils, stickers, paste-ups, usually by a kind of anonymous individual. And I wonder if there are any of these sort of larger visible collectives that are engaging quite openly in the street during the day queer and proud or is it still something that just kind of exists really through this kind of anonymous nighttime shadowy you know uh, approach there are a few muralists who work in, in you know, like david puck for example who originally is from the uk he primarily is a muralist and he paints murals of of queer non-binary trans drag queens he, all his all his subject matter is very queer it's very of course some people maybe you know you, it, it's maybe not know what they're looking at necessarily although i think that his is if you want if you look a little close you're going to realize what that, that there's something there there are muralists who are working in that um nomad clan they they do stuff like that Keshink, she does murals. Hugo Girl, who mostly did graffiti, he's he's done some murals. So th there is, it's not all off the grid illegal stuff. And not, and it's not that they wouldn't do murals. They're often either censored or not. There's a, their muralism, I mean, this is a totally big can of worms that you could talk about. Open the can, open the can, I'm here. <laughs> if you've been paying attention to street art for years, decades, the way muralism is eaten, street art, and people think of muralism as street art. I generally tell people that I like to separate the two. Um, no one would call Diego Rivera a street artist, right? There, the muralism is a tradition that goes back for uh, you know for decades, uh, if not longer. And muralism is a very different thing. It's a it's curated. There's there's there can be censorship in what you can put on. Not to mention the entire system that if you pull the rug up depending you know in different cities it's different in new york it it can get really rancid when you pull the, the curtain back and you look at the whole system that's in place there's you know the links to gentrification the links to tr transforming neighborhoods uh artists parachuting into a neighborhood putting up work that now the locals have to look at whether or not they want to look at it you know there's there's so much there for me muralism is my least favorite aspect of street art um there's some murals I'm like, oh, that's pretty, that's nice. Or there's, or there, there are, there are like community-based stuff that's interesting. I have a problem with the really kind of vapid selfie background stuff that just sort of gets plopped from city to city, and then you know, not to mention the organizers who are collecting lots of money from maybe a local city council or something, and then they're offering an artist, you know, a a hundred dollar stipend and I'll pay for some of your paint, but you know, find your own housing. But where's the other nine thousand dollars going? You know, there's there's a whole gross system that 
can exist out there that I'm just not a huge fan of. Let's take a couple of steps back because <laughs> there's a lot in there and I feel like we're going to get a lot out of this together. Let me start at the obvious place because we're going to be using this phrase a lot and I think it's important to come to some, some kind of collective understanding. What is queer street art? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, when I started the project, I, it was, you know, when I wasn't sure how many artists I'd find, it was like, do I talk about people who self-identify as queer and they happen to be street artists? Um, is it any art that is queer themed, no matter who painted it or made it? Or is it, or, or is it queer identifying people who is making work that was queer in content? So those were the things I had to kind of sift through as I began the project. And I landed on that I wanted to focus on queer identifying artists who are making mostly queer themed work. That to me was, for me, the most interesting. I wasn't really interested in a straight ally who keeps getting to paint pride murals in, and get a lot of attention. That was the least interesting thing that I was wanted to talk about. So I wanted to talk about queer people, queer artists who were making work. I would generally say queer artists work is queer street art, but particularly work that has a queer theme to it in some way. And and so what is that? Because generally the, everything a queer person makes could have a queer element to it. So those are kind of the things I kind of was exploring and asking a lot of the artists, like, what is this? What, what makes this, this, or, you know, what are you trying, who are you trying to reach? You know, there's a different. Is that what you initially uh, sort of set out to, to, to find then with the documentary? I, I, in college, I actually studied anthropology. And so I kind of brought an anthropological thinking to, to, I bring that to a lot of my work as a photographer and now as a filmmaker, which was, I kind of feel like there's something going on, but I need to go into the field and kind of ask people and find out, you know, really kind of dive in to see what's going on and have people, you know, ask questions, but not get lost in my own narrative I want to drive. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, as a queer person, I wanted to know why I didn't know more about these artists. I wanted to know why. Why don't I know? Like, that, I mean, that was the main thing. The, the moment I got home and I started like searching, like, oh, cool, I want to read some articles about this. And I was like, what, why, uh, why is there nothing? And the more I searched and the more I found these artists and the more these artists were excited to know that, 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 that there were other artists, um, that really set me on fire because it was like, okay, so there is a global queer street art movement. And as they found each other and a community kind of got woven together, that became exciting to me because like, one, they're doing interesting work. Two, I think that their messages are really important, especially if you want to put in the context of street art, a lot of street art has become for me, you know, I, I really don't think you can pull apart the effect social media has had on street art and transforming it into like, social media digestible meme kind of you know celebrity based stuff that's just clickbait that's just oh i you know you know why why are you taking a photo of that oh because you're a really big fan of you know david bowie you know it's like there's like a vapidness in a lot of the work that kind of drives me that was what was sort of driving me away from even wanting to photograph it and be you know it's like okay well if this is what it is like how do you know a celebrity died oh they'll be pasted on a wall within before their body's cold is kind of boring to me um so the, these, these artists are making work that is very personal, it's very political, it's urgent. To me, is very much, it comes from the, the roots of, of where a lot of this political street art came from, which was this like urgency to organize and to communicate and to find each other and to fight back against really horrendous things that are happening in our world. 
So that was what I found most, that kept me motivated. Today's demonstration is the latest of many staged by the militant group ACT UP, which has gained increasing influence on AIDS policy. The atmosphere at the meetings and at the group's headquarters is characterized by enthusiasm and belligerence toward established institutions. Playwright Larry Kramer started ACT UP to accelerate the AIDS drug approval process. What right does the FDA and the NIH have to tell a dying person what he or she can do with her or his body? So where does the journey start for you in the documentary? Like, do you go back to what might be regarded as the start of the emergence of queer street art? That to me was a real interesting turning point in the filming is when I started to think about before. So like, you know, the beginning was, oh, I wonder what there are artists out there. Let's go and travel. You know, I spent months in Europe and, you know, I traveled to, I don't even remember how many, I have to always look it up, but it was a lot of <laughs> cities and countries and I just kept traveling. So there's the contemporary stuff that was interesting. But one of the things I found was one, artists that were generally my age or a little older constantly were referring to the work of ACT UP and Grand Fury and AIDS activism and the whole silence equals death stuff. Those, the, those, a lot of the queer artists were making references to our own history in their work. So whether they were invoking legendary icons or important activists, the history kept being woven into their work, which of course made me kind of go, okay, well, oh, that's right, act up. That, yeah, they were totally doing like what we would call street art now, even though it was political activism, but they were doing uh, wheat pasting. They were doing the bloody hands all over the, you know, stuff, the stickers. So uh, that began me to start to dig into the past. And then I kept finding more and more and that there was a, even the night of the Stonewall riots, teenagers, as soon as it starts, they're immediately grabbing chalk, the cheapest, easiest thing to find, and writing tomorrow night the Stonewall on the streets all over Greenwich Village. When you went around New York, there wasn't an ATM that didn't have an act up sticker when you opened it. If you went driving out of the city, there wasn't a toll booth that didn't have an act up sticker on it. And you have to think, okay, these teenagers, so it was to one, keep the riots going, but that message is, who's that mark? Who is that message for? It's to other queer people, because they're gonna know what the Stonewall is. Someone walking by would be like, I wouldn't even pay attention to that. But anyone who was queer would know Stonewall, well, I know what that bar is, go. That to me was interesting that you have this long 50, you know, then it keep going. There's a lot, there's so much more I kept finding, but you have uh, over a half century of queer activists and artists using street art, the public realm, to organize and to um, express themselves. Graffiti has multiple roots. The root that gets the most attention, obviously, is the basis in urban art, right? The you know, coming out of New York and the stuff on the trains and the tags and the hand style and all that. But political activism has long used graffiti, going back before, the, before the, you know, the, the whole like train stuff in like the 60s. So like you have, uh, in the 70s. So you have to kind of like, for me, there's the political activism is always used we pace postering going back for a long, long time. I think people just kind of forget about it for, for some reason. That was sort of like, okay, let's let's explore this branch of history that is really important because Keith Haring was gay, David Vonerovich was gay, he was doing, you know, painting in the piers. Tava was an artist that was painting illegal murals, uh, the piers in New York City, huge mur illegal murals of, of a super uh, homoerotic images that were so, it was basically um, Gilgamesh and Enkidu who were from the Epic of Gilgamesh, but they're standing there, they're huge, this is in the 70s, huge murals on the side, on the, in the river in New York City with them holding their erect cocks facing each other, that it was so 
obvious that when they would do the the tour boats would come in they would be like and over here you'll see hoboken new jersey to like turn the tourists away so they wouldn't see these murals so these artists were using that outdoor space for art for for a long time we just don't know their history what have you learned this isn't a question i feared but what have you learned about the 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 power of the image of the penis in public during <laughs> your time doing this because i mean i think it's just such a universal thing but i think if, if if I look at you know any you go through any school or you could open up any kids any thirteen year old kid's notebook there's gonna be dick somewhere in there but then when it's a maybe a queer person doing like you were just talking there this idea of there's a wrecked penis in the street it's suddenly that that meaning it changes what have you learned about the penis in the public well the penis has long been in the public I mean you walk through the streets of Pompeii there's 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 penises carved all over the place you know. Well, first of all, I love dick graffiti. That's like probably my favorite. It's probably why I started shooting. I loved, I always loved bathroom and, and dick graffiti. I, I, in fact, if there, if someone draws a dick, I'm going to photograph it like guaranteed because I just, I, it makes you laugh. It's funny. One of the artists I interviewed in London, uh, Paula Shen in the early two thousands, he was putting cocks all over London, but his intention was to make straight men uncomfortable, particularly like erect. There's all, obviously there's a big difference between a flaccid penis and an erect penis and, and their intent and what they can, you know, elicit. Um, but putting erect penises around London, um, you know, he put, you know, big one all over. It was, it's, it's so weird because there's like penises everywhere. They're always drawn, but they're also like the thing that's like really taboo, right? They're, it's always rare to see them in movies. You know, they show women's bodies all the time, but there's, a, there's something people get really uncomfortable for, or I don't know if it's people, maybe it's just men. I don't know who gets uncomfortable. Somebody's getting uncomfortable. <laughs> I am a woman artist in this world where women artists are a minority. I am queer in this world where queers are a minority. How can we change that? How can we make this evolve in a way of more acceptance and more tolerance? How does feminism factor into this idea of queer street art? Ah, well, that's actually huge. Feminist, so in the 70s, particularly in the 70s and the 80s, there were a lot of feminist activists that were using graffiti. Uh, Jill Posner's book in 1984 was one of the first, was one of the first graffiti books, let alone the, probably the first graffiti book that was about political graffiti. And she was mostly photographing a lot of feminist graffiti and le lesbian graffiti, but also, you know, other political stuff that was mostly in London. So that's like a, one of the early books. Um, but there, the feminist use of graffiti was really important because it had a huge effect, especially when you get to the AIDS activism. AIDS activism was often led by a lot of lesbians who had, a, and by a lot of feminists, a lot of lesbians who had a lot of experience through the 70s with the women's movement fighting for abortion rights and stuff. And so a lot of the involvement and a lot of the training was coming from these feminists who were saying like, here's how we do direct action. Here's how we're going to organize Here's how we did it for these causes. So there was, there's a, there's a really um, tight bond between feminist theory and activism and, and a lot of queer street art because they're, they're intrinsically linked. You can't understand homophobia without understanding feminism, but you, because it's all the concept, you know, it's a, it's, it's based in this idea of machoism and, and patriarchy controlling of people's bodies and what they can do with their bodies. So there's a link there that's, you just can't really separate out. It's often said that street art is one of the most, or the most democratic form of art, because it's kind of open to everybody. 
Uh, to what extent would you agree with that statement? And if it is so democratic, then why is street art so predominantly, he- why is it so hetero, white, cis, male heavy? In theory, in theory, it's democratic. In theory, it is. Anybody can go out and put work up, right? In theory, anyone who is willing to risk arrest or risk somebody coming out of their <laughs> building and smacking them, you know, anyone who's willing to take the risk to put up art can do it. I, I don't know. I'm sure you've, you've spent a lot of time f- filming and photographing people putting up work, particularly illegal work. You know, some people, we pace in the middle of the day, daylight. Now that's easier if you're white generally, because you can kind of disappear into the crowd, right? I've been out with a lot of women who get away with, you know, because no one's looking at them. No one's thinking they're doing anything illegal. There's all sorts of ways, or even when they get caught, they're just so confused by what they're seeing that they, by the time they realize what happened, we've already walked away. So if you're a person of color, there's generally eyes on you in a way that maybe isn't on a, a non-person of color. So you have that aspect of it. And also who's going to risk themselves. You know, there's, there's a lot of different variables. Who can go out at night? Who, who can be alone in the streets? That kind of stuff. Now, the other side of it is that there is this concept that street art is dominated by white, cis, straight guys. And that, to me, in my experience, has not necessarily been true. But... It is definitely the narrative that people think it is. Go on. Yeah. Well, why is that? It's probably because who are the gatekeepers? Who's promoting people? Who's ele- who's getting elevated and who's getting ignored? The 50th anniversary of Stonewall is a great example. They do all these pride murals. How many murals were given to straight people, which I found incredible. <laughs> and they're the ones getting in because some of them were the famous ones, were ones being quoted in like new- newspapers. And it's like, meanwhile, there's, you know, a queer artist painting a mural and being totally ignored. There were, and maybe there were more queer people painting walls, but for, you know, a famous straight dude got, came in and he's getting all the attention and claps for being an ally. Where my perspective, ally's job is to get out of the way and make space for people, not take space. I, I said that a thousand times during Stonewall 50, when friends of mine who were street artists would say, hey, I was given a wall. What do you think I should do? Who are, you know, a straight person. Uh, a pride mural as an ally. And I was like, you're asking the wrong person if you want me to say yes. I think that you should probably say no and offer up a queer artist that space. That's my perspective. You said at the start of your process in doing this, that there, there was lots of, you would notice that there was artists making queer street art or queer street artists. There wasn't a sense of community that had bound them. And I always find that the street art community is so small. Everybody seems to kind of know everybody, but for some reason, the queer street artists hadn't managed to find each other. What was kind of like, what, what was missing there? Apart from you, obviously, to come in and try to, to build it. Was it the, the terminology, the language or the acceptance or? Yeah, I think, I think there could be. Okay. So one of the things that's interesting, when I started the project um, and I started a queer street art Instagram, I used to hashtag everything queer street art. In the beginning, I could literally scroll back and see all the posts. Like, oh, here's the 50 pieces, 50 art that have been tagged this. 35 of them are my photos. As artists began to find once, one, coalesce around the term using that hashtag. um, And then they, you know, so the social, the the upside of social media, because there are a lot of downsides of it, is it allowed people to find each other. And as I would post people or they would, you know, they would search the hashtags, they could find each other. Because there wasn't anything written. I mean, like, okay, so a great example would be Edith in Copenhagen. E-D-E-S is, is his name. He's been painting full train cars 
with graphic gay stuff that's really kind of cute you know it'd be like assholes and dicks but they're kind of like cartoonish and whimsical and sweet but they're they're full-on whimsical yeah they're they are they're very whimsical <laughs> that's a whimsical they're, asshole if ever i saw one there's there you know it'll it'll be doing gross things but they're kind of cartoonish and cute and like when the doors close on the is something gross happy you know not gross but you know it's like oh wow yeah okay he's been doing that for decades like for for 20 years the only thing i found about him was one copenhagen vice article when i was searching and i thought wait there's a guy painting like full trains with this imagery and i've never heard of him and this is like literally the only mention that exists on the internet about him so of course i was like i'm going to copenhagen <laughs> like that is that is 100 happening so i had to like reach i had to find him through the journalist who wrote the article who then sent my information and then i flew to copenhagen and met up with him and this happens all the time when you're traveling if you start once you start looking for it you know you i would ask the gatekeepers of different cities like people who shoot a lot of street art in london or paris or hey who do you know in your city and they're like yeah i don't i don't really know of any of that and i don't think we have any then you get off to the train in London and you're walking around, you're like there, there, there. Like, so it can exist, but if nobody is sharing it, that, I mean, it goes back to the original street art. People, so before social media stuff was there and it just died on the street, right? Lived and died on the street. Social media has made it that more people experience street art digitally than they do in, in real life most of the time, right? Not a lot of people are going to go see these things, get to see them in person, but like everyone's seeing them on the internet. But if your work's not being photographed or shared, or you don't live in a, a media capital like London or New York, I mean, I'm sure we all know that those cities have a lot of artists that get way too much attention for the caliber of the work they're making, but they live in a media capital, so they get tons of attention. You were traveling through so many countries. How did the attitudes towards queer street art differ from, you know, from region, from city to city, from, you know, the, 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 the hubs like New York or San Francisco or London to maybe more rural areas and then even into, you know, different countries going from Denmark and some of the other places. How, how have you seen the reception and attitudes by both the artists themselves and the audience's receivers? How has that changed uh, from, from your experience? Well, there's, there are a few things I thought were interesting. Um, and I think this is why people should definitely travel more if you're into street art to see how it changes in different cities, just stylistically or, or the medium. Copenhagen, for example, is most, is very graph based. They're doing graffiti. They're breaking into train yards. They're like spray. It's all spray paint, illegal kind of stuff. There's not a lot of like wheat pasting and, and then like that kind of art. Think about like Rome and Italy, for example, it's in Europe. It's very modern when you're there, but it's, there's a lot of homophobia in Italy. When you walk around Rome, for example, in Rome, a lot of cities have like gay areas, you know, they have gay bars and gay, it's like, you, oh, I'm in the gay section of, of London or New York or any of these. There's really like the gay section of Rome, kind of by the Colosseum, you'd hardly know that those were like gay friendly pizza joints that you can get a beer. I mean, they're like, it's not the same thing. A lot of the queer life occurs at the, um, those like, uh, uh, what do they call them in English? But they're like, they, the, those community centers are like occupied community centers, the, the social centers in Rome. So they're like these kind of community spaces have been taken over and, and those were where a lot of the, the queer parties were happening. So it's linked because that's, a, it's an interesting thing. You have a modern city where there's a lot of homophobia. There was a lot of, you know, there's a the fascism, you know, that was definitely something that was sort of definitely you could feel and as you traveled this like right wing 
backlash that had was bubbling definitely bubbling when i started the project then it was just kept bubbling as as the years have gone on as a lot of the artists were warning about it i kept saying like something's coming so you felt that in certain places i mean i was in rome and i got trapped in the middle of one of those like fascist rallies and i felt like i was i honestly felt like i was in like this like mussolini type like what you used to see in the movies it was really scary all the signs were like anti-gay and anti-gay marriage like <laughs> i had to like weave through this giant piazza with all these fascists and it was like wow okay i would have loved covid kind of derailed it and my you know i'm not like some millionaire that could have kept going i really did want to explore more into places that were outside of the west i really wanted to see what what i could find in other countries you know i, I had a few people write me from from like um iran stuff like that that i thought okay that would be really interesting like there's queer street art in iran yeah, there was a guy wrote me from from Iran and would send me like some graffiti um, and also some of these murals that were very coded. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting, um, that could be really interesting. I mean, I have no idea how I'd get there and film it uh, <laughs> but beyond being able to afford it. But I think, that, I think that those stuff though were very, very, very hard to find um, outside of, because you have to think like, are people putting this kind of stuff up in, in certain countries where, I mean, you might be able to walk through other parts of like Africa or the Middle East or, or in Asia, and maybe you would find it, but I wasn't finding a lot. I couldn't find much trace of it online. Well, if you couldn't find much when you were doing the digging for sort of just the history of queer street art in the U S then I think there's probably going to be even less written about it in the somewhere else. And it, you know, it depends is that you, you don't just do it because you do it. Is that an effective way to communicate with each other? It may not be an effective way to, to organize and communicate in other parts of the world where it is very effective here because for whatever, you know, for all the different reasons that we, we've kind of talked about already, there was definitely a lot more I wanted to explore in South America, but I just, you know, COVID just kind of mm -hmm. stopped me in my tracks from getting to go further to really explore more of what was happening globally, you know, it was already ambitious <laughs> as I was going. A global pandemic made it like next to impossible. From the people that you were talking to, because you were talking about like artists or activists, going back to the sort of the Stonewall era, how have the experiences changed over the years for queer street artists or artists engaging in this subject matter? The unfortunate thing is we're often under attack and you get comfortable and they and then they come back and they come after you. The dire situation during the AIDS crisis is sort of, if, you, if you've now, if you're too, if you're younger, you didn't live through it or experience it in some capacity, it's hard to really wrap your brain around the fact, like here we just talked this fun little conversation about COVID that goes back maybe, what, three years ago? You have to imagine it was, what, seven years of that, of people dying before Reagan would even say the word AIDS. The inaction by the government killed a lot of people absolute inaction. It was because they were okay with the demographic that was dying. Those artists are really working in a very dire situation, trying to figure out how do we punch really hard and get through when this is the situation. What's going on in uh, the backlash, the violent, horrible backlash, and just violent experience in general that trans people experience. So there's still a lot. The homophobia, I mean, Homophobia alone in, the, in street art is kind of, and not just like the community, but like if you make queer work and you put it on the street, your work is often targeted. It's scratched out, it's destroyed, it's covered. Like that was one consistent thing I noticed as a photographer and all the artists 
experience too. Their work was often targeted and it wasn't just like a scratch. It was, there was a violence to the way they're scratched out. There's a, there's you, you can see the, you can see the rage of the person who did it in the physical way that they attacked it. They didn't just take black paint and go like this. They didn't just take a marker and put a mustache on it. You know, it's a, it's a violent attack on the art that is chilling because that's what you're up against, uh, in a world that doesn't think you have the right to exist, which is why street art is so linked to that, to queer liberation is because it's about declaring your right to exist in the public sphere. I have a right to exist period, which shouldn't be something human beings have to declare. It should just be given. So the fact that you have to declare your right to exist in public is already like something that sets you apart from people who never, or they go, what are you talking about? I, I've, well, I just won't go to the market. I never thought of that being an issue. So yeah, I think the different artists are dealing with different challenges, but what they're all doing is finding how to weaponize art to reach each other and to, to, to push back against this society that is just always kind of pushing you back against the wall. Um, so it's finding how to carve out that space and, and, and keep pushing forward. That's the way movements work. You just keep pushing, they'll push back and then you have to just keep marching forward. That queer community is, is created. Each generation has to keep working at finding each other and building a community. It's not a, you're not born into it. You're born a queer person alone. And you have to find other queer people. Um, when I was a kid, you didn't see queer people on TV, really, in movies. That didn't exist. I mean, there's a reason why, like, Ellen coming out was a big deal. Like, I never saw myself reflected in TV other than, like, as a bad person, someone who's going to get murdered, someone who commits suicide, um, or someone who was dying of AIDS. That was the oath. So that my thought of my future was, well, I'm going to die, or someone's going to kill me, or I have to just hide who I am and try to blend those were really felt like the three options but growing up outside of new york city during that time period i saw what act up was doing on tv on the news i saw their very formative protest their use of those posters silence equals death those posters were like burned into my little queer head and for me it was like well those people are saying yeah we're gonna fight you and that was that had a huge impact so that kind of visibility has humongous impact on on other generations. So do you believe then that simply by being visible, you will be able to impact people that are quietly suffering? Yes, because I, I, I say this all the time, every expression of queerness is a revolutionary act. Every time someone sees that you exist and that you exist in all different kinds of ways. I mean, I, I think it's exciting that I don't know if there's more people doing queer street art because this project has elevated it or, or, or highlighted it or shown. But I love that like the amount of entries I put into my database inc has increased so much over the years. It used to be like, oh, every few months I find something. Now it's like, I walk around some neighborhoods and you can tell like uh, maybe a, it looks like a little kid is maybe made a, po a little sticker hand drawn with some markers. And like, I think that's really exciting that especially like uh, a younger generation might be using graffiti, street art, stickering to kind of express themselves and just be like, yeah, I'm 14. I just wrote a, like made a little like <laughs> rainbow horse and I'm going to go stick this on the pole outside my house. You know? Yeah. I think that's exciting. I think that's fun to have a generation to be inspired. Like, you know, in the film, a lot of 
the artists talk about that. Like, for example, it's the, the graffiti guy. He never, he's like, I didn't know there were any other queer graffiti writers. Didn't even know that. I, I assumed I wasn't the only one, but I had, I never knew that there could be another one. But take you within graffiti, because like street art, I see, I do see as something a little bit more openly democratic and that, you know, to, to, to sort of use that, that word. But graffiti is really, it's hyper-masculine. Well, because it's generally, graffiti generally is not done alone. You need a crew and you need a crew because you're doing highly illegal stuff. And if you've ever gone along with people <laughs> painting illegally like this, like painting the entire train, there's an entire system of how you are going to get into that space. You've got 35 minutes or 30 minutes to paint a train with two hands, you know, with, with two cans. So your crew is an integral part of getting graffiti up. The, and those crews can be very macho. And so, you know, so when Edith, you know, for example, he started painting and he was like, I'm going to make this gay stuff. Luckily, his crew was cool with it. And they like were, we were still would like paint next to him and allow their, their, you know, all their cars to be together. Um, but you have to have, you know, you have to have a good crew that is not like assholes because otherwise you're not going to be able to get up like the same way. Your, your crew is so integral. Whereas you could go we paste that night by yourself if you really wanted to, you know, you could, you could sticker all day long. You could send your stickers out all over the world and everyone could put them up for you. So it's a very, yeah, totally different medium and a totally different system of how you get up. If you had to pick one thing, uh, for the audience to take away from this film, what would it be? The thing that really surprised me was how personal it really was. These people really are making work that is generally coming from like a, a really personal deep place inside themselves they're not necessarily seeking f like fame or like they, they really really there was something so genuine and i hope that i hope that um in the end people really see how genuine these artists desire to put work up and where it was coming from is is coming from a place that sometimes can be a little unusual in in the current street art scene where it's very performative for social media you're putting in hot spots and you want attention I, I really was moved by how genuinely uh, uh, emotional these artists felt and how personal the work was for them. So I, I hope that that comes across in the future to people. I hope that. So what's the plan for it then? You're in the final stages? Yeah, I, I am like desperately, desperately trying to raise money so that we, we're going to post-production now. So, you know, that the... It's like part of me like, oh, the hard part's over, but like, actually, no, now the next hard part, anyone who's ever made a movie, I don't know, you know, it's like the hardest thing in the entire world to do. And you can only do it if you are just like completely like insane that you're just like, no matter what you hit, you just keep marching forward. So yeah, the, now it's like, next is like figuring out how you put together the film and, and then, but getting the funds so you can get it out the door. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this part because I'm, I'm, I'm excited to sit with an editor and really work together and kind of, I don't even know how many, like 30 terabytes of footage or- Is that what you're working with? Shit. That's quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. There's like seven massive hard drive. I mean, there's a massive, I mean, it's hundreds of hundreds of hours of footage. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds very, very painful. I did 41 interviews. It's like, it's insane. It's insane. I luckily have I'm OCD and I have it all logged and transcribed and you yeah, have we're to. ready we're ready to go. If you didn't yeah. then, then fuck you are you are that's ten, so ten more years, you know? Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's it is a, a Herculean amount of stuff to carry. Oh yeah. So where can if someone is listening just now, where can they help you get this across the line? How can they support? 
Yeah, they can go to, uh, there's a website, queerstreetart.com. And on that site, you'll find out more about the film. You can see the trailer. And there's a little section about if you want to help support the project, uh, which would be very, very needed. That's probably the easiest way to find everything at once. Um, you know, otherwise you can find me on social media, uh, either under the Dusty Rebel. Uh, I forgot to ask you that. Dusty Rebel. I, I should have opened with this. Where did the name come from and why did you stick with it? Yeah, You know, it's a name. Okay. It, I'm going to give the easiest version of, of the Dusty Rebel. The Dusty Rebel came from many, many, like when the, when, when the internet first started. <laughs> wow. I, I, I had a blog with friends and that was my name on it. And it was sort of, um, the name originally came from the idea that we were doing a lot of political active, activism online. This was like during like when Bush first uh, was elected. And I thought, oh, wow, we're doing all this rebellious stuff, but we're like online collecting dust. So like the Dusty Rebel kind of came from that. But then as a street photographer, I was photographing rebellious people and I'm like literally getting dirty, like out in alleyways and really gross. So, so for me, the name always kind of made sense of like, both the active and passive idea of rebellious behavior that my life is both very much online, but also very much out in dirty streets. Um, so that is, uh, that is my way of explaining it. I just always, I like the name. And when I created it, like literally there, nothing else existed, but me as Dusty Rebel. And now there's like a clothing line. There's a band. I'm like, you stole, oh, you all stole my name. Cause like, uh -huh. oh shit. You don't get any, yeah. any action on that? No. I don't know. I gotta get a lawyer to maybe like sue them or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If you want to support Daniel, get a lawyer to sue them. <laughs> no, first make first. Let's make the movie unless unless we can get a lot of money. But yeah, okay. Well, you never know. You never know. Someone might have deep pockets. I hope we got some deep pockets, listeners. This is the first time I've ever encouraged you guys to put your hands in your pockets. But I, I really, I want to see this. Uh, you know, I want to see you get this across the line. I think it's one of the most authentic forms of street art that still exists, and I think this is a. A really important story for you to be telling and you know i genuinely do wish you all the best in finalizing this and getting it across the line that's it from daniel and myself for this episode i wish him all the best in these final stages of the project you can follow the progress over on his instagram at the dusty rebel or at queer street art like i said at the start there is so much left to explore on this subject we've only just scratched the surface on the relationship with feminism we didn't even touch on the importance of intersectionality and of course trans and non-binary voices are essential in this conversation but for now i hope this little amuse bush has indeed amused your bush if you did enjoy this why not give us a follow online and share this episode far and wide we will be back with you as always really soon till that moment comes take care of yourselves and each other <laughs>